Welcome to Global Yardi. This podcast captures conversations on culture and sustainable living and connects people from all over the world. I am Dana Lynn, the Global Yardi and your host. Thanks for tuning in. Global Yardi. Global Yardi. Global Yardi. Global Yardi. Global Yardi. Global Yardi. Welcome to Global Yardi. I am your host, Dana Lynn. If you are just tuning in since the start of the year, let me officially say Happy New Year to you. By now, we would have all basked in the newness of 2021 and perhaps set some resolutions already. And I hope that one of your resolutions is to listen more of Global Yadi, as it is my resolution to give you more episodes and share more experiences from people across the globe. Remember, you can find Global Yadi on all major listening platforms, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Breaker, and also follow Global Yadi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And don't forget our own home, globalyadi.com. Today, we are checking in with one of our very first listeners. I remember this young lady was among the, well, I just said first, when we just started the podcast, I'm very excited. She listened to the very first eight episodes. So we're glad to to be checking in with her today. She is a lover of nature, food, a good story, who will try most things once within reason. She loves traveling and giving good gifts. One of the things she takes pride in is being slow to anger and being organized. Her name is Christine Simpson, and she is all the way in China. So we're going to be delving into her lived experience with Chinese culture, living through a year of COVID, or I think it's more than a year now, of COVID in China, and of course, the outlook for 2021. Christine, welcome to Global Yadi. Wow, Dana Lynn, thanks for your exciting (laughs) brief. Not a problem, you know, you know, that's how I do. And I understand that you have a friend with you right now. Hi, Arsha. All right. So guess what? The first thing I want to ask you, like, even though I shouldn't be judging, but you are uh, far away from home. Both of you Jamaicans from for the benefit of our audience. How you find yourself way across the globe in China? I want you to answer that in Chinese. <laughs> no, definitely can't answer that in Chinese, but I remember you wondered how you say China in Chinese. Okay, um, yeah. The answer to that is Zhongguo. That mm. is, yeah, that is Zhongguo. Zhongguo means China. Um, mm. Chinese is Zhongguo Ren, I think they Zhongguo Ren. Yes. So that's first off. And secondly, our loans brought us to China, to be frank. Our student loans, they brought us across the world. Definitely. Huh? (laughs) All right, go ahead. It's interesting how you put that. Yeah, it, it was at the time. I mean... When we finished school and decided that we needed to go and seek jobs and things were looking very slim. And then 
Arsha messaged me one night and she was like, Chris, you know, you could try and do this because I think it may just be a good opportunity. And you know what they say about missed opportunities either way. So at the time we decided to do it, see what could happen. And we were scared and everything because our families were unsure about it too. And they were like wondering if it was about human traffickers and whatever, but we took the risk. We took the risk because we were desperate. When we got our letters from SLB saying how much we should repay them, our desperation made us do something extraordinary. Yeah, I'll put it that way. Well, um, I'm just here. Think Well, so many things that you just said a while ago. But no, it has been how long since you've been in China? uh two years and a couple months right? all right so you see an extraordinary it has been extraordinary so do you think it's it has been paying off um i mean and i don't necessarily mean in terms of the loan and let me just say i have to commend you ladies for taking such a step instead of just you know staying where you are and saying oh my gosh i can't do anything about this so at least the decision to do something, you know, is just displaying your resilience. Um, so now you, you've, it's two years in China. What has that been like? And you mentioned that you love a good story. So it means that you should be able to give a good story. So tell us a story about um, when you would have first come to China. Um, now you're here, I mean, I know, off the backs of the fear of being human trafficked. Um, I, I don't know if if you came with that fear of, or that was just a projection from your parents. But what was that like? You know, arriving in China, settling in China. Oh wow! Um, it was very long. In my mind, I knew that, but being on a plane for so many hours, like traveling for two days and so makes you very exhausted. I didn't know what jet lag was until I arrived in China. But it became apparent to me when I went to Beijing and I saw there was hardly any English around and I became very frustrated because I'm like, can't they put up English signs some or something? But Little did I know <laughs> that was going to be my life for the next two years ongoing. But arriving at the airport and then coming to the apartment, I think the biggest struggle for me at the time was being able to open a bank account. For some reason, they need a whole lot of things from foreigners. And sometimes when you're overseas, people will probably think that you're living your best life, but it's more of you're trying to live your best life as much as you possibly can. Sometimes even extra because you're away from home. And being in China doesn't mean that everything is all good and crystal. It just means that you have a different set of stress here than you would back home. What do you think, Orsha? Exactly. Yeah, the language barrier is a thing. Mm -hmm. We don't rely on Google Translate anymore. That's really crappy, sorry to say. And oh. at first, the first couple months here, wow, 
we really became homesick. Stressful. Really stressful. I arrived in April. Orsha came in July. And I remember just talking to her on the phone throughout everything and waiting until it was my night, which was her day where she could talk. And then when it's her night and it's my day, we had to be used to the time zones. And our families didn't get used to it either because I'd be sleeping and I just hear the phone ring and my daddy is calling and he's saying, how you doing? I'm like, daddy, I'm asleep. I told you we've been over this. I am 13 hours ahead of you. And then, Alin, I don't know about you, but I hate when people wake me up out of sleep. I dislike it so much. So, so I much. Can, I can definitely relate. Um, You know, studying in the UK and, you know, my parents or other people would call and it's like you tell them it's we're five hours ahead or we're six hours ahead, according to, you know, daylight saving time and British summertime. And, you know, every time like my mom or dad would call like, oh, what time is it now? Or wait, did I wake you? And I'm like, guys, can I just add five or add six? Uh, you know, and yeah. so I know that's that story of, of my life as well. Yes. Terrible, man. So yeah, after, after all of that, after all of that, tears yeah. saying that you want to leave and you get to, you know, define how strong you are as a character when you look back at everything. And one of the mistakes that I made when I first arrived here was thinking that this place should change to suit my purpose when that's not how it goes, when I finally realized that I should just let this place be because I'm the one who made the choice to come here, I have to live or work with it as best I can. That's when things started to be a little more progressive. Yeah. All right. So so I'm getting a lot of determination from your story, but I want something a little bit more specific so we can get like, you know, what your experience was like. So you, you, you're here in China. And I mean, it seems, of course, that you have to be dealing with the vagaries and it's not always a bed of roses, as people think, you know, when you're overseas and it's just different from, you know, where you're from. In your case, Jamaica. Uh, so what was your role like? So what what are you doing in China? What's your occupation? And, you know, and, and how has that been in terms of the adjustment? Uh, adjustment is, is OK. We're both teachers here, uh, kindergarten teachers. And I'm not so sure I don't want to teach any other level apart from kindergarten right now. They're sweet children most of the time. And then sometimes you come home and you just can't take it. But it's work and work is work. But um, adjusting to this life has its ups and downs. Uh, we go in for 8.30 in the mornings and we don't leave until 5.30 in the evenings. So that's like a full day. Um, yeah. Going, so, uh, so going what, to work. Okay. Uh, oh. <laughs> I guess we, I'm excited to get more of the, of the other ex, experience and I, and I do know it, it can be intense. Don't want to say like, all right, we're, we're not trying to... Um, you know, get that side of what it means to, to be occupied or or, in, or employed in, in, in China and what. But 
a little bit more of the classroom experience. What 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 would you say are some of the differences? Because I know people would be listening this episode and they want to get some of the cultural insight and some of the differences as well. What is it like, um, you know, teaching in China? What is it like, you know, exploring the Chinese culture and, and, and all of that? Can you give us some of your experiences in that regard? Yeah, so... Uh... One difference that I realized with kindergartens here and back home is that the teachers actually move with their classes. You know how you are in grade one and you have your grade one teacher. When you go to grade two, you have a different teacher. It's not like that, at least where I work. So your, your grade one kindergarten teacher will be your grade three kindergarten teacher. So that's something I thought was weird but I think it actually makes sense because the children become comfortable with you and then you're going to have to start over if you give them another you know teacher to to familiarize themselves with and another thing is nap time nap time in China the whole country basically shuts down for lunchtime so nap time is really sleep time People go sleep? Yeah. They 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 call it take a rest. <laughs> That's what they call it. So if you know how back home we have our lunchtime and we say, okay, I'm going to take this hour and I'm going to go to the bank or run to do an errand because that's the only other time I have. Yeah. In China, if you're going to use your lunch hour to visit the bank, it really doesn't make sense because the the staffers they are on lunch as well. It's the same thing with hospitals, unless there's an emergency, of course. And um, speaking of which, hospitals here, when you say you're going to the doctor, your doctor is going to be based in a hospital. There are no private doctors here where I am, um, in southern China. Yes, so. You can't say, oh, this is my family doctor and I'm going to see him to see something is wrong with me. No, you go to the hospital. You don't go to the doctor at his private clinic or whatnot. You go directly to the hospital. So that's something that I found to be different too. What would you say, Orshigo? Um, Maybe like, as Dana Lynn was asking about the classroom, I think it is different from being back home because the Chinese, they expect you to be all bubbly and exciting, cheerful. cheerful. It's like you have to be a whole different a person. whole different person, you know, and you may you may you may have to come out of your comfort zone just to put on that show for the kids so that they can learn the English because they believe that once you're all cheerful and bubbly, that is the only way they can learn. Yeah. So that that is just a different thing. That's their concept. I don't agree with it. Yes, but I don't. Yeah. Because you're not always in that mood. Yeah. If that's what, what you mean? So, so, so teachers, in, in back where you're from, teachers don't come to, to the, the kindergarten um kids and they're they aren't bubbly and full. Of, you don't remember your your child teachers were bubbly and full of life too. 
No, yes, I, I don't remember that. Not, no, not mine. No. <laughs> some, but I think they, um, I just feel like they go overboard with it. With especially foreigners. Because with foreigners. Chinese yeah, don't behave foreigners. like that. And it's the same school. You understand? They don't <laughs> behave like that. But so you're saying that they have the foreigners doing the most? Yes, I would say that. That's, oh, that's wow. very interesting. All right, so we so we've gotten we've gotten um quite a bit in terms of you know what sparked the decision to get here, how it was like adjusting, um, especially mindset wise and all of that, and you know getting the insights into the the professional you know side of your experience. So I know Christine said it's not a bit of roses and it's not all glitz and glams, but I know that you must have had some good experiences, you know, seeing different, uh, what can I say, places and landmarks and all of that. So what are some of the fun things that you've gotten to do since being in China? Oh, no, you guys, have you climbed or walked around the Great Wall of China yet? <laughs> what was that like? Not as yet. <laughs> no, and uh, it's... It does sound weird to be here for two years and you haven't gone to see the Great Wall. Yes, that's What a weird. Great Wall of Disappointment. <laughs> Actually, it's it's on the it's on the to do list, but uh, priorities, mm-hmm. priorities, yes, priorities. Uh, the loan was the first one, and happily, thankfully, that's out of the way. Because you know what's funny. I do remember when you had posted about clearing yours and I'm yeah. like, yeah, it feels good. Doesn't it? Yeah. And it, yeah. Really, it really did. It really did. So that was out of the way. Um, and then we said that 2020, we're going to go even harder now because guess what? We don't have that, you know, not necessarily to hold us back, but to think about. And then the whole pandemic situation started all right so before we even talk about the pandemic because we're going to go you're never going to the great wall you've never been and and we're gonna get over that we 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 haven't gone to any tours or anything anywhere in china i should say we went on vacation in malaysia and indonesia Okay. Malaysia and Indonesia. So that's where the pandemic found us because we went you for keep a winter. Going back trip. to the pandemic, I'm want to explore a little bit about your Chinese life before we reach the pandemic. Yes. Because I see you strolling through pretty gardens sometimes, you're going to the fish market or something. So you gave us a light the, the, the distinction that you gave us about, you know, the teachers here and they want it to be bubbly and effervescent and then nap time. So tell me something else about the the um something else about about China and the culture before before the pandemic because we're going to go to that so like all right like which province where are you because we know China one point four billion people big big place so which province are you guys located we're in Guangdong we're in Guangdong which is close to Macau and. Hong Kong, which everybody knows. Okay. Yeah. Out of college so, from Macau, beautiful looking place, by the way, like a Las Vegas of, of the Asian section of the world, I think. Yeah, I want to visit there really badly ever since I watched Boys Over Flowers. 
But anyways, uh, yes. So to visit there, we take the bullet train and they keep mentioning that we're not supposed to call it the bullet train because, you know, sounds very... Combative. Really? That, that's how we, we even learned about that in school in Jamaica and her social studies books. Like it literally said mm-hmm. bullet train. Bullet train, yes. And um, I visited the market, the, the meat market twice since I've been here. I haven't come back. But the, the market here, the meat market, is very large, it's very loud, and it's very wet. Mm. Uh, the Chinese, Chinese people love fresh food. So back right. home when you say, oh, you're going to the butcher and you have all these things on the fridge, it's not like that here. When you say you're going to the market to buy food, you're getting it fresh, like not yet killed fresh. You see a fish that you like swimming in an aquarium. You tell the man, I want that one. He just gets it for you, kills it, scales it, guts it, and it's yours. Oh, That's wow. how fresh it is. Oh, Nothing like is passive hunting. dead. Yes. <laughs> and what, what creeped me out was in the supermarket, everything over in the frozen food section is on ice. How we buy chicken, you just see the chicken leg there on the ice and you just pick it up, put it in a bag, wait, and you pay for it. And I remember thinking, that's so weird. Everything. So it, it, it isn't packaged as it, it, in terms of what we're used to. Like, so you pick, you literally pick the pieces just as how it's fruits. You know how you'd have loose fruits and you bag them yourself? It, yeah. It's something like that? Mm-hmm. It's like that. Oh, it's wow. like that. It is like that. So down from your fish to your shrimp to your crab, all of those things are alive. And um, sometimes you will see you see fish that are already killed, but you know that they weren't brought in from somewhere else. They were actually done there. Mm-hmm. You okay. do have prepackaged chicken, but not many people buy those. Okay. Because well, it is what, it's what, different. And it could be a good thing too, because you know, even with fish, um, sometimes you, you purchase fish and it's not necessarily, you know, caught in the same uh country or area that you are purchasing it. So it's good to know actually that you're getting your food fresh like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh the one thing that I found very frightening was buying the pre-packaged chicken one day. And discovering that the head wasn't chopped off, it scared me because I did not see it in the I did not see it in the package. They 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 put the head of the chicken underneath the breast. And I was in for a surprise when I came home to cut and clean it up. I was not expecting that. And in China it was the first place that I saw black chicken. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, I think I saw that on your your status ones. Uh, Maybe they believe in just giving it the entire package, you know, Um, as it relates to to the chicken. Uh, Another difference here in terms of food is they don't store things for very long. Mm -hmm. In many homes that I've been to in China, they have very small refrigerators and it's small to us, but it's big to them. 
basically. So we would, when we go grocery shopping, we buy a lot of stuff and we keep it in the freezer. But in China, you'll see them buying food that is just for two days or so. If they're going to cook a meal, they're going to buy the vegetables to cook that meal on that day. They don't believe in storing things or really using the microwave even because they think it makes the food bad, which in point, it, it does have its merit. Yeah, to think that way. So that's a difference here. That's, with, that's interesting. Um, or and Chinese, yeah. Like a minimalist type of, of approach because a lot of times to be told, um, I don't know inter- how it would work in terms of frequency, but I, I love sometimes that some people do that or they do that because we have it's, it's a great way of preventing a lot of food spoiling and you know over consumption. Mm-hmm. And especially in this mm-hmm. time when we're trying to be more environment conscious, climate conscious, mm-hmm. we need to look at how it is that we, um, you know, that we store and reduce energy. You pack up the fridge with a lot of food, it's a lot more energy keeping that um you know chilled and cold and all of that all right yeah. so oh got uh, that. and i know you've jumped over you know the food and you navigated um the whole food landscape you know, that point with the overconsumption they've actually started this initiative hashtag don't waste food here in china we see our workplace implementing that where it they did a a census and it came to their attention that many Chinese were wasting food, ordering a lot and they're not finishing it. So now they started the campaign to say that. Yeah, so they're telling everybody not to waste food and to cut down on how much they actually need, you know, to eat instead of just getting a whole bunch of food just to decorate the the table. So that's a a good thing. All right. Great. Um, so now we're going to go to the obviously one of the highly anticipated points of this discussion in coming the coronavirus. And I have to say, when you were talking about the, the live market scene and we, we kind of, you know, obviously the earliest reports around the virus was saying that it may have, you know, came from one of those markets. And maybe it was an illegal market or whatnot. I know since then there has been a lot of um, obscurity around that. But mm-hmm. it's still a point of intrigue with, with, you know, the virus emerging from China. We knew how the world felt and we all can attest to the, to the 2020 that we all had. And But for some reason, China, a population of 1.4 billion people, uh, just over 4,000 deaths since we're now in 2021, mm-hmm. um, in a way seemingly have beat the, the, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, so that, that's kind of intriguing. I heard that they've now been developing some local vaccines. But before we even reach the end and, and where we are in 2021, take us mm-hmm. back to when you would have first heard about the virus. And so we want to give um, give us a story now, Arsha and Christine, about what life was like first you know, hearing about the pandemic, living through the pandemic and, you know, arriving to the point where you are now. Wow. All right, all right. We're going to take time with you. You you want to give us all at once. All right, so you're just hearing about COVID. What was that like? The first time hearing about the COVID, I think we were in... We were in Bali. Bali, and Mm -hmm. I saw the news about this virus, so... I was like, okay. And 
I read it and I was saying, let me see what's going to happen. And then I saw the, the other day I saw another news saying that, oh, some persons died. And I'm like, no, Chris, Chris, no, this is a serious virus. <laughs> like, because, <laughs> yes, because the first time when I was hearing about the virus, then Aline, I was saying, okay, they're saying it's just a flu-like virus and blah, blah, blah. So maybe it's not that serious. But afterwards, when I saw that they had some fatalities I was like oh my god Chris no this is serious this is mm. very serious we have to get some masks and whatever so we started getting the masks and then our families and friends they were they were calling us asking if we are going back to China so we were there contemplating whether or not we are going to stay in Bali or we are going to come back to China so even though all other things would be in China at the time, you'd have, you'd have just settled in Bali like that? Yes. <laughs> but I think when, in, in, when, we, when we thought of it, we had the things that mattered. Yes. Well, apart from like the As, degree. Apart from so. the documents. <laughs> all your work has to be replaced, <laughs> you know? So... When when we when we when we decided to think about it and say okay those are materialistic things we can replace whatever our lives are on the line yes we were scared <laughs> but I think coming coming back and we have we got the necessary things like the mask and sanitizer <laughs> and the fact that we were home not mingling with anyone. I think we were a bit okay at that point. Yeah, I'll never forget the moment when Orsha was telling me about this virus. And at the time, I was thinking, oh, yeah, you know, a virus, we, we, it won't be anything, it will pass, blah, blah, blah. But then when, you know, a lot of news, news, news sources are talking about it and you're like, mm -hmm. wow, this is a thing, you start to be a, a bit more concerned because, well, I don't want to say the whatever has hit the fan. You you sort of realize that this is happening. You mm -hmm. cannot ignore this. Yeah. So Definitely. we we decided that we were going to return to China, see what would happen, and we realized the 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 day before, or I think we had two days left on vacation. And we decided to go get masks. And every store we went to, yes. they were sold oh, out. <laughs> every store. So we found one on the penultimate day and we got 10. And then the last day, I think, we went to another store and we were able to get like five. And... All the store owners were like, sorry, some Chinese folks bought them before you did. I remember we even went to this pharmacy and the lady told us that she didn't have any more masks. But yet still, there was another man. He came in and he got masks. So we went, well, Orsha went back to the lady to ask why she told us that she didn't have any masks. But yet still, she sold it too the the asian but we didn't know what to make of that so we just left it but anyway fast forward to the airport mm -hmm. huh 
No, because yeah. you know, it's so funny that I was going to ask you guys, um, ladies, don't in the interview, uh, mm. if especially because we heard reports about people feeling discriminated against and foreigners being treated unfairly, especially in the heightened panic of the mm. pandemic. So that kind of sounds a little bit, um, you know, very mm. prejudiced yeah. and, and very selective very about and, you know, maybe in her mind, she's securing it for her kind. But I think, you know, yeah. that's part of why other persons felt like, you know, they were mm-hmm. displaced, um, even mm-hmm. evicted, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in the pandemic. So I think you were going to talk about the airport. Was there like a similar experience there, too? Uh, no, it was when when we went to the airport, we realized that persons were wearing masks. You didn't see a lot of persons in Bali wearing the mask because at that point, Bali was considered a safe place. Yeah, still. This was in January, maybe a, what, like... 26, 26. No, it's not. You sure? Yeah. When did we get back? Yeah, we got back like the last 26. Oh, the 27. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was... Early mid January, right? Bali was still considered a safe place. We went to the airport. A lot of persons were were wearing masks. We decided to get some masks at the airport. They were still sold out. When we went on the plane, we realized they were, you know, sanitizing the plane and everything. Mm-hmm. We did not know the scope of the virus until we arrived in China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this story sounds very intriguing, but we have to cut for, this has to be a part one. So join us next week. (laughs) Join us next week for part two. Don't forget, you can find Global Yardy on all major listening platforms, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public Breaker, and globalyardy.com. This has been a very intriguing episode. So we're going to come back for part two, which is life after lockdown. Thanks for tuning in. Global Yardy. Global Yardy. Global Yardy. Global Yardy. Global Yardy. Global Yardy. Global Yardy.